All right, we're going to be right back where we were last week in uh, Hebrews 11. And then we're going to touch on some other places in the Word of God. We talked about three different people last week. We talked about Abel. We talked about Enoch. We talked about Noah. We talked about other people too, but those were the, the main three characters that we were talking about. These are, I don't like to use the word characters because they can be made up. You know, we got characters and stories that may not be real, but these are real people. These are people that made it in the hall of faith. The hall of faith. That's, that's Hebrews chapter 11 is the uh, biblical hall of faith. I'm going to read again the first verse. Now, faith is the substance. You know, in the Old Testament, we had a whole bunch of types and pictures. But in the New Testament, we have the substance. We have the real thing, Jesus Christ. Of things hoped for, they were hoped for for so long... But now we have the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, there's two different ways to look at verse 3. The worlds... And I tend to go with what the King James Bible actually says. You, you, when you study for a sermon and you're looking at all this, you, you will be reminded of what the Greek word is in this place and why was it translated this way. Because you can have one Greek word that could be translated different words in English. And I've explained that before. Because... You know, in, in the Greek, if you was to put a ring on someone's finger, it would say put a ring on their hand. Okay? Where in English, we have more words where we can get even more detailed and we would say put a ring on the finger. Or we may say something about the palm. But the opposite is true when it comes to the word love. In English, we're, we're kind of limited but in the Greek, you have different words for love. So you've got to kind of work with that both ways. So world. And when I see the word world, I'm not going to neglect the fact that we have creation to look at. We have technology that we have been able to see out into space. And the things that we see in space will blow our minds. When you think about how far the, even the sun is from the earth, it, it would just blow your mind. And how it all works. So from those things, the worldly things, but, but the word that is translated here, world, and some people would say it would be the ages by how God has dealt with things through time. Well, we can look at that as well. 
Because we have, in our Bible, we can read through the Bible and we can see different ways that God has, has handled His people starting from Adam and Eve. So, if you look at it like that, you, have you ever heard the term dispensation? You got the dispensation of law, the dispensation of grace. And the word dispensation, and it's a Bible word, some people don't like the word, they're scared of it, but it's just simply a way that God is dealing with people at the time. So a certain government could be defined as a dispensation compared to a different country who has a different form of government. That's their dispensation of handling it. That's all it really means. So there are different ages throughout time. The first one, like I said, was Adam and Eve. The age of innocence. When Adam and Eve were first formed and created, you know, Adam was formed from the dust of the earth and he was created something very different than all other creatures that were, that were made. And Adam had a wife named Eve. They lived in paradise. And then something happened to end that, Right? So the age of innocence, that's the age of Adam and Eve in the garden of paradise. It was an ideal place. And it ended with the temptation of Eve and Adam and Eve falling. And it ended that dispensation. So God doesn't deal with His people that way anymore. That brought in another age called the age of conscience. Because what did they get from what, what happened with the fall? The knowledge of good and evil. So the, the age of conscience, the knowledge of right and wrong, what happened? What happened with all of that? It ended with a flood. Judgment. It ended with the whole earth being flooded. And then the next age was the age of government. The sword was used by Noah to judge between right and wrong and to actually cause punishment. But that sword was used by people to turn it from protecting people from bad things to conquering people. And Nimrod... Uh, the Tower of Babel are part of that age. <clears throat> Humanism, materialism, and rebellion against God, all was part of that. And you can see it today. You can see it in our age today of that same thing is happening. That ended with God confusing the languages and, and separating everybody. That brought in the age of promise. God decided to pick one person, his name was Abraham, 
And he made a covenant with him. And he gave him promises. Promise of a land. Promise of a son. And many nations. All these were promises that did Abraham get them quick? On his birthday maybe? Maybe at Christmas time? No. They were promises. But did he get any of these things? It took a long time to get these things. So Abraham, when I, when I see these ages laid out on paper, I just wrote these things down, made little notes beside them, but it, also, it, it reminds me of a person who comes into this world as a brand new baby. There's an age of innocence. It doesn't take long but that age of conscience comes around where they know the difference between right and wrong. And you start holding them accountable to it, right? There's a time when we would say uh, a young child would reach an age of accountability. And then we start to minister to them. We start to ask them if they believe in, in their Lord and Savior. And we try to get them to choose the right way. But during that time, they're also under an age of government. That age where their parents rule them. Their parents look out for them. That's that time of government. Then there's that age of promise that in, you know, there's, there's something that has been done for you. Each and every person has been presented in some way. We're, we're going through Romans in Sunday school. And the, the book of Romans tells us that every person, every person, has been given a conscience. They have been given a little light from from Jesus himself. That's in John chapter 1. And that every person, because of creation, because of the things that they just know to be true, are, are not held blameless. They are told that you know better but you failed. The age of promise points us to our Savior, our promised land, being able to get into the kingdom of God. In Sunday school, we were talking about how Moses, well, before I say that, the next age is the age of law where we get the Ten Commandments. And later we get 613 laws. You ever wondered why 613? Have you ever heard that before? 613 laws. Look at 6 and 13. 6 is the number of man. 13 is the number of rebellion. It wouldn't be any other way, would it? 613 laws to handle all the things in your life but we can narrow them down to the Ten Commandments and we can hang those on the wall as a reminder. But Jesus narrowed it down even more. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. He got it down to two. We've been told that a free nation cannot stand unless it's a moral nation. You have to have morally good, righteous people people who believe in a higher power to have a free country. Okay, so the, the dispensation of law 
is represented by Moses. Moses is the one who brought the Ten Commandments down off the mountain to a people who were caught up in the age of government. You know, in the, you know, in the age of promise, Abraham had all these good things to look forward to, and he would tell his people, especially after Isaac was born and the proof started to happen, he started to see things. The evidence wasn't there to start with, but he, by faith he believed them. And so Abraham, he actually saw things that were going to be in the future. And then all the nation of Israel, coming from him, ended up in slavery in Egypt. What's up with that? This is supposed to be the age of promise. And they were there for 400 years, but because of the promise, and and as we read on through Hebrews 11, you're going to see where Joseph was mentioned, and it was all about just carrying his bones away from Egypt to the promised land. And this was going to be 400 years after the promise was made, and that made the Hall of Fame... Joseph just making mention of his bones. What's, what is the big deal about that? Joseph had faith that he had heard from his forefathers that they are surely going to the promised land one day. Now after 400 years of being in bondage, you would think some doubt would have came about, which, you know, Joseph didn't see all of that come to play. He died well before the 400 years, but... The Bible tells us in in Hebrews 11 that Joseph was a man of faith big time because he made mention that one day, listen up guys, I'm about ready to die, but one day, it might be 300 years from now, but one day y'all are going out of here and make sure it's known, write it down, (coughs) that I want my bones to be carried to the promised land and buried there. That's faith. He was believing something that he had no proof of other than the Word of God. That was passed down. We are to be people who who know our Bibles and know the Word of God and we pass it down. We, We take care of it and we preach it, we live it, and we pass it down to our children and their children. We pass it down. And faith... We're looking for a promise that we don't actually have yet. Jesus said, I'm going to build a place for you. I'm going to go make a place in heaven for you. And we walk around like we are the righteousness of God. We we walk around claiming to be on equal ground as Jesus. How could we make such a claim? We are joint heirs with Christ. The Bible tells us that. And most people out there in the world would look at you and go, really? You don't look like you're doing so good to me now. Oh, I know, but it's coming. I'm a very, very special person. Very special. I have been adopted into the family of God. Yeah, but you're not there. Oh, I'm going to be. He's coming. He's coming for me. I know he is. That's faith. 
Believing something you don't quite have yet, but you know it's going to happen. That's Bible hope. Not the way we use hope today. We, I hope we can do this. I hope we, we, we've messed that word up. Bible hope is, I know it's going to happen. I'm just waiting on it. So again, Moses represents the law. Moses directs you to the promised land, but he couldn't take you there. The, the nation of Israel, Moses, we would have said, yep, Moses is the one. He should take them over into the promised land. He parted the Red Sea. He is qualified. Nope, not by God. The law, the, the dispensation of law, it's in our Bibles. Do, have we gotten rid of it? No, it's still there. There's a lot of people who don't like it. A lot of people who will fuss if you preach too much about it. People who only want the New Testament. The law points us in the right direction. It points us to our Redeemer. All through the Old Testament, it points us to Jesus. Moses could point them in the right direction. He pointed them to the Promised Land. And when they got to the Jordan River, they could either hold on to the law and try to get through the Jordan themselves and drown, or they can look to this new guy named Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Same thing that Jesus means, Jehovah saves. Joshua had to take them through the Jordan. The water separated, and they went through like they were on dry land, went over into the promised land. That's the same with us today. We are people who know the Word of God. We are, we, we're being pointed in the right direction, and that direction is toward Jesus. But the law can't save us. It just shows us that we can't do it on our own. And we need a Joshua to get us into the promised land. We need Jesus to take us into the kingdom of God. That's our promised land, is the kingdom of God. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus, and He takes us in, if you try to do it your own way, you're going to drown in the Jordan. Do it God's way, which is Jesus taking us into the promised land, taking us into the kingdom of God. See, <clears throat> You can have a room full of people, and they all seem to be sitting in the same place, but some of them could actually be in the kingdom of God, and others are not. But humanly, looking at them, they all seem to be in the same place. But spiritually, some are in a totally different kingdom than the others. Make sense? So the age of promise, it ended with idolatry in the wilderness melting down the gold and turning them into the, through the golden calves that they were worshiping. Where did they learn that? They learned that being in, in Egypt. Egypt represents the world. Where do we learn how to do all the th things that displease God just from living in the world? We are in bondage to the world. We're in bondage to our own flesh. And we're in bondage to the devil. That's our three main enemies. 
the flesh, the world, and the devil. And Jesus can help us conquer all of those. Now, if you want to try to tackle those things yourself, it will tie you up every day, all day, for the rest of your life, and you will never do what God has called you to do. Each and every one of us has been given gifts, and we have been given a promise. If we try to do it ourselves, the devil will be happy to allow us to do so. Because you will never, ever become effective for the kingdom of God and God's ways if you try to take care of your flesh. Look, you can spend a whole lot of time trying to kill this flesh that's a constant sore. Think about the things that you struggle with. All of us have got things that we struggle with. You can go to therapy. I'm not saying therapy's not good, but you can have all kinds of therapy sessions. You can uh, do things to help your willpower. You can look at books and, and read and all these things you can do to try to fix this flesh that we live in. And it would take up all of your time. Or you can believe the Word of God and say, I need it crucified. And God will be happy to do that. He's in the business of crucify. Crucify the flesh. Quit trying to fix it. Allow it to be crucified. Quit trying to make the world a better place to go to hell from. That's Adrian Rogers' quote. Stop trying to make the world a better place to go to hell from. But be born again and you will change the way the world is around you. You've got too many people, humanists out there, that are trying to fix the world when all they really need to do is fix themselves and the world will be a better place. And the devil, he's, he, the devil made me do it. The devil's always on my case. The devil, the, he's nothing if you're in the kingdom of God. Just resist him and he'll flee from you. That's just Bible. Know the word of God. Quit spending so much time trying to fix the flesh, the world, and the devil. And just believe what the Word of God says. That takes us into the age of grace. The law has pointed us in the right direction. We've gone through the Jordan safely. Remember the Jordan was split. It was just opened up and they walked through. At flood stage, if a person, would, like again, if a person would have tried to do it their own way and get there under their own terms, they would have been swept away and drowned. They wouldn't have got there. We have to do it the right way. The Bible tells us how to do it. When we get there, we're in the age of grace or the dispensation of grace, the church age, the body of Christ. We're baptized into Him. Each and every one of us are a part of Him. So that's the age that we're living in right now. How long will it last? No one knows for sure. Several have predicted and several have been wrong. 
We don't know. Jesus tells us none of the angels know. At one point he said, I don't even know. Only the Father in heaven knows. I'm like, you know, you, when you believe in the Trinity, you think, well, how is that possible? How can the Father know something that he doesn't know? But he just, it, maybe because he was here on earth, he was the Son of Man, and he said, hey, don't ask me. Only the Father knows that. The age of grace, we're in it right now. Now, there's another age that comes after the age of grace called the age of wrath. Now, I personally think that's an extension of the age of law. I think that that seven years that's missing out of the 490-year prophecy from Daniel has to be fulfilled one day. I believe that Daniel shows us that through prophecy and the Gentile world powers that, that were the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks, Alexander the Great, leading into the Roman Empire. That's when Christ would come. And that's exactly when Christ came. He came at a time that was perfect. Roman Empire opened things up for the Word of God, for, for, the, for the whole story of Jesus to go out into all the world. The Roman Empire was perfect for the timing. Now, when Jesus died on that cross, it stopped the age of law and opened up the age of grace. That's what ended the law and started the age that we're in right now. What's going to end the age of grace? What's going to happen to end it? Well, if you're a premillennial and you believe that the church is going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation, are you a pre-trib, post-trib, premillennial, post-millennial? I mean, we can get into all kinds of crazy beliefs that separate Christians. And another reason why we have so many denominations, because we don't want to agree on things, but I think the Bible clearly shows that we, if we are believers in the age of grace, we're actually believers, then there's going to be some that are going to go through wrath. There's going to be some that are going to be, they're going to be taken away from the wrath. I think that if the, if the end of the church age was today, that anybody who's a true believer will be taken out of here. And anybody who's not will be left. They will be in shock for a, just a little while. I just hope that there's so few people that are actually going to get raptured out that it's not noticed. I just hope that's not the case. I hope there's enough people who are true believers that when we go, that the world will be in shock. But think about the world. Think about the people who are of this world that and it's getting worse and worse as time goes on, that cannot stand us Christians. After the shock wears off, they're probably going to be pretty happy we're gone. And they can go on with all these things that we stand in the way of, and then tribulation, oh yeah. It'll, it'll look good for a little while, but then the tribulation will be horrible. Jesus talked about it. So, the... Uh, the dead 
shall rise first. The dead shall rise first. Why? Why do they get to rise first? I've heard because they have six foot further to go. I don't know how good that is, but they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. They died before it happened. And they're going to be taken up out of the grave first. So, I don't know, it might be just seconds. If you happen to be, maybe I'll be over here weed-eating at the graveyard. And I'll see all those graves open up. I'll be like, all right, I'm next. After they start going up, I'll be following them. The dead, that's that's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And he's in this uh, uh, John Phillips here, he said, that's fair. These are saints of God who hoped and prayed that the Lord would come while they were still alive, but death came instead. But they have this advantage over those who are alive and remain when Christ comes. They will go up first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Those who are thus raptured will shout, O death, where is thy sting? Those who come bounding from their graves will sing, O grave, where is thy victory? There is no room for doubt because the Bible says they shall rise. It was all settled in heaven a long time ago. The graves will be plundered of those who are asleep. The globe will be plundered of those who are alive, and the time is drawing nigh or very near. And I think that's true because many years ago here, I was I was uh, asked to do you know fill in, and I preached a message on Revelation two and three, and I can remember preaching that message on Revelation 2 and 3, and there were, Todd showed up. He came in the side door over here. He sat down right over there, and he told me later, he said, you know, I've been in Methodist church a long, long time, and I have never, ever heard a sermon about Revelation. Never. And a former pastor was here. They were going to be out of town. They ended up not going out of town but because I had already prepared for it. Everything was good. I was going to do the message. And I can remember it hadn't been long that I had, I had gone through the book of Revelation at the jail. It only took nine months. But, you know, I only had one day a week, an hour, one hour every week. And it took nine months. Not only did we go through Revelation, but we went through First Thessalonians. We went through Second Thessalonians. We went through the we went through different books of the Bible in the process of going through Revelation. And I can remember it took us about seven weeks to get through Revelation 2 and 3. And I was telling the guys I was all excited that I was going to preach a message at my church about Revelation 2 and 3. And they said, how are you going to do that in a 30-minute sermon? Oh, I don't know. So I said, this may take seven hours. This might take seven hours. I hope you brought your lunch. 
It may have taken 45 minutes. I can't remember what it took, but I went through those seven churches. And as you go through the different churches, you see a different church age. The first church with Ephesus. And you just follow those things through when you see uh, Smyrna, the, the time of severe persecution. You see Pergamos. And this is all from memory. This has nothing to do with today's sermon. It just came to my mind. So keep me straight on these seven churches. Uh, Pergamos, when things started to co-mingle between the world and the church, when Constantine said, uh, stop persecuting them, let's make it the state religion, and everybody jumped for joy, yay, we're not being persecuted, Uh uh-oh, this is not good. It merged with the world, and the world, just like Balaam showed the king of the, I guess it was the Moabites, uh, how to mess up the children of Israel. He's like, God won't let me curse them from the outside, but I can tell you how you can mess them up from the inside. And that was Pergamos. Brought in Thyatira. Brought in, what was after Thyatira? Sardis. Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love, and then when you get to the Church of Laodicea, neither hot nor cold, and Jesus wants to spew us out of his mouth, we're in that age. Well, that's the seventh one. When the seventh church age comes to an end, Revelation 4, he's not talking about any churches anymore. John is all of a sudden in heaven, amazed at what he's seeing. I think that's the rapture. I think at the end of the church ages, if you go back and do a really good study on those seven churches, which were historical churches at the time they were written about, And if you go and you look and you find out what they were going through at that time, you will find out that the church of Laodicea was so far away from a water source that they had to build conduit, pipe, they put together above ground, and they piped water in from many miles away. And when the water finally got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And when the people drank it, they gagged. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? The Bible is so perfect. A lot of it we have no clue unless you... You you would have to look at secular history and to find out how perfect it is. Now... Okay, so we're, we're going to have to wrap up. We're getting, we're getting close to uh, our time is going to be up. And we, we can, I really don't, I didn't want this to go to next week because we got some other things we got to do leading up to Christmas. But I want you to realize that through the way God has dealt with mankind that we can see things happening. Can you see it, how it's all set up? How it's, it's, it's for each and every person to make a decision in that age of grace? 
We don't want to be around during the age of wrath. And when the tribulation ends, Christ is going to come back with those who went up to meet Him. And He is going to literally rule and reign from the throne of David. The Jews thought that's what was going to happen in the first advent. But when He was able to be physically taken, the kingdom of heaven was put on hold. But the kingdom of God was exactly what it was supposed to be. It was the mystery hidden from the ages. So, again, all these things make sense if you back up and see the Bible as a whole, the whole thing laid out. It all makes sense. So the millennial age will come after the, the age of wrath, or the, in my opinion, the age of grace, and the end of the age of law, which, which comes back up for seven years. So the millennial age will be Christ reigning for a thousand years on the throne of David. And then, when that ends, after the one thousand years, then the ages to come where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. In Matthew 24, it talks about, Jesus is talking about the end times, and he says that as in the days of Noah, you're looking for the end? Well, he said it's going to be just like the days of Noah. They're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. They'll be eating. They'll be drinking. Everything will be going on like normal. And boom, it's going to hit. we got to be ready. Don't be a procrastinator. I told y'all a couple years ago I was going to do a message on procrastination. I still haven't got around to it. Listen to what I'm telling you. We'll get to it one day. We're going to get to it one day. Don't be that person that procrastinates about the Word of God. Be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your ways. Father, I pray that we will not be a people who are into human reasoning, I pray that we will be a people of divine revelation. Father, that we will stop trying so hard, but instead we would trust in Jesus. Father, He finished it all. He did it all for us. I pray that we will see it, We will embrace it. We will call upon His name. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen.